All right. Hi, everybody. Uh, before we start, I just want to go ahead and say thank you to everybody that's listened on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, whatever podcast medium you use. Thank you to everybody, especially that's been leaving iTunes reviews. If you've left a iTunes review and sent me a picture of that, I have sent out stickers. So thank you to everybody for that. If you want stickers, uh, just go ahead, send me a copy of your iTunes review. It just has to be a picture of it. And you can email that to me at ICanStealThat at gmail.com or on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at ICanStealThat. Or you can message me on SoundCloud. Pretty much Google ICanStealThat and you'll find a way to get in contact with me. Thank you to everybody that has gone and emailed just to say that they really like particular episodes or to give feedback or updates on some of the topics that we've covered or to suggest topics uh, that we can do on future shows. I really do appreciate all of your support, and I really couldn't do this without you guys. So thank you again. Today, I have a very special guest. My buddy Sam Kronfeld is going to be joining me. Uh, Sam and I went to college together, and he's super knowledgeable, and we're going to be talking about a really, really exciting uh, cyber heist that happened. So without any further ado, let's go ahead and get into the episode. All right, welcome to I Can Steal That. I'm Pete. I'm Sam. And today we are going to be talking about a super exciting case, uh, an $81 million cyber heist. Yeah, this was, um, thanks for inviting me for this, Pete, because this was, I feel like it's insane how little news was reported about this, because this was just like such an insane and crazy story, and a lot of the sources we looked at, it like... Like, why didn't more people learn about this? Because there's, you know, we have terrorism, international crime, and commerce. Just everything about this just, is, like, feels like an epic gangster story. It does. It does. It definitely feels like there's, like, a lot of... It could be a movie. Uh, it'd be it'd probably be a really boring movie, though, because nothing <laughs> in cyberspace is ever as actually exciting as it sounds, uh, given that that is my particular field of uh, expertise and profession. It would be a really boring movie, until yeah. at least until the end part. Right. Um, but yeah, so this one, uh, this one happened in February of 2016, uh, and it involves... The Federal Reserve Bank of New York, uh, as well as the National Bank of Bangladesh, uh, and a few other banks that we'll get into in a moment. Yeah. So, uh, so like I said, this one occurred February fourth, two thousand sixteen, um, and that, this is like when the this, I guess this is like when the uh, the money is actually stolen um, because. It, for there were a lot of steps prior to this in the months before to set it up, um, and so some of the some of the steps included uh, back in May of 2015, uh, a bunch of people opened up bank accounts um, with a bunch of different banks all over the Philippines, uh, as well as a couple others in different countries. Uh, put about 500 bucks in them um, uh, in each account, and then just kind of let them sit dormant for. For almost a year. Uh, and they just kind of like existed, but they didn't really do anything. 
Uh, and then on February 4th slash February 5th, depending on where you were, it was the 4th here, um, and it was the 5th over there because of the international dateline. Um, all those all those accounts started to get millions and millions of dollars just deposited into them overnight. Uh, so how does that happen exactly? Well, so the mo- okay, so the money was um, so how that happened is that uh, there's this uh, group called SWIFT, which is the Society for Worldwide Interbank Financial Telecommunications. It's a big word, um, but uh, SWIFT is based in in Belgium, and their job is to monitor um, these financial transactions between banks a- around the world. Um, and so, like, about 24 million trans, uh, transactions are done between these banks on a daily basis, um, through SWIFT. And SWIFT has a closed network system, um, and, which is important, and we'll get to why that's important later. Uh, one thing also, SWIFT, um, Banks that use SWIFT, and there are like about 11,000 banks that use them, uh, each bank has their own individualized code. Yeah, so the way that the SWIFT codes actually work uh, is SWIFT assigns each financial organization a unique code with either 8 or 11 characters in it. Uh, The code is typically called the SWIFT code or SWIFT ID, uh, and basically the way it works is uh, we'll, we'll go ahead and use an example code. So if we're going to use the uh, Unicredit Banca, which is headquartered in Milan, uh, it has an eight-character SWIFT code. Uh, the first four characters of that are going to be the institute code. Uh, so UNCR in this case for Unicredit Banca. If you're using like JP Morgan Chase, that might be JPMC or something like that. The next two characters are going to be the country code. So in this case, we'd be using IT, but U.S. for your American banks, uh, you know, FR for French, whatever the other country codes are going to be. The next two characters after that are going to be the location code or the city code. Uh, This one is going to use MM for Milan, NY for New York, and so on and so forth. It really just depends on there. And then there's an uh, an additional three characters that can be put at the very end that are going to break it down to a specific branch. Those are optional, but it does help uh, with the routing. So, uh, but before before any of the SWIFT things can be done, there's a few other things that have to be, that really have to be done um, before any of this can, can really take place. And the first thing that the attackers needed to do in this case uh, was they had to go ahead and figure out a way to cover up their tracks. And so what they did was they they put software on a bunch of banking computers, pretty much any computer they thought was going to be involved in any part of this transaction. Uh, and this malware uh, pretty, much, pretty much went and uh, either removed the fraudulent transactions from the ledgers. It would just scrub it off the PDF file so that any transactions that they were going to go ahead and do wouldn't show up in there and they wouldn't know to look for it. Or it would actually stop those from printing out. So there was never an actual paper trail on those. And the way they were able to get those onto the computers uh, was probably through a uh, phishing attack, which is just a targeted email. Uh, this one might be spear phishing, which is 
targeting a specific organization, a lot of times attackers will go ahead and make it sound like there's an email from your boss or from, you know, your wife or those big dick pill emails that you get. Uh, those are all phishing attempts. So anytime you see a suspicious email, uh, be sure to check it out and don't click anything if you don't know exactly who sent it. And if you're not sure, go ahead and ask the person. Uh, so once they got, so once they get those uh, those emails sent, people go ahead and click on them, and that installs the that installs the malware on their computer and allows uh, allows the the tracks to be covered. Uh, and after that, uh, that happened about a month or two before before the attacks. Uh, then they just kind of wait for the right time. And in this case, the right time came at 5 o'clock on a Friday. All right. So uh, it's also important to, to kind of mention a little bit more about Swift. Um, because Swift isn't really a computer program or anything like that. Basically what it is, is it's just a messaging service for banks. It's a, so it's a trusted platform that banks use to communicate with one another. And only banks in the Swift system can use it. So its security is kind of in the, it's kind of implied that if you're on the system, you're good to go. Uh, it'd be kind of like if you're at a bar and you're hitting on a lady and then all of a sudden you find out that she's like 17 or, you know what, we're going to go, we're going to go with 18 uh, so that this is not creepy in any state. Uh, <laughs> and you're like, well, like the bartender like, he was checking IDs, so if she's in here, like, I'm probably good to go. Uh, and typically, that's that's correct, but if you can get credentials, like a fake ID, to get onto Swift, then you can really start, uh, start causing some havoc. Right. So, when, so when these um, transactions were printed out and they saw, uh, like, when the Federal Reserve Bank of New York saw these transactions from the Bangladeshi bank um, withdrawing this money, they didn't think of anything of it because it's basically, you know, it was a SWIFT transaction. Like It was a transaction through SWIFT. So they just assumed it was totally safe, totally legitimate. Right. So if we're going to use this, like, bar example again because I'm kind of fixated on it, uh, it would be like walking up to the bar and just, like, telling the bartender, who in this case is the new... Uh, the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, that you want a beer. And it's not really until the bartender takes like a really close look that he realizes that it's actually like a golden retriever in a trench coat. Uh, and what ended up happening with this one, and one of the reasons that they found out uh, that this uh, that these transactions uh, by the hackers were in fact fraudulent, there were a couple, couple ways. Uh, earlier I mentioned that there was a program installed to subvert printing. Um, and so basically, that that did subvert the printing, and it stopped all of those transactions from being printed until one of the Federal Reserve printers ran out of paper, and then nothing printed, and they're like, "Oh, well, let's go, like, just throw a stack of paper back in the printer." And once that uh, once that paper was reinserted, all of a sudden, dozens and dozens of transactions that nobody had seen before because they hadn't printed before started coming out. And then some of these transactions looked really weird. Um, for example, there was a uh, an organization for one of the bank accounts, and it was supposed to be a foundation, but the word foundation was misspelled foundation. 
So unless it was like some charitable group like dedicated to cooling Southeast Asia and like loving puns, like it was not not legitimate. And so that was actually what ended up triggering this alert, uh, getting these uh, transactions to be either suspended, stopped completely, or in one case refunded. Um, because originally $101 million uh, had been transferred. Uh, and one of the banks is able to, to catch on early enough to go ahead and pull back about $20 million. Uh, but $81 million did end up making it through. Um, because remember, I said that this happened on uh, 5 o'clock on a Friday. So everybody was leaving work. So nobody checked this stuff until Monday morning. They had three days to go ahead and get all this money and, and kind of run with it. All right, so they had a three-day head start uh, when it came to laundering the money. And when you need to get a bunch of dirty money clean in a hurry, there's no better place than a shady, although very nice from the pictures I've seen online, uh, casino in Asia. Uh, They went to a casino called Solaire in Manila. And this part of the story is actually pretty fascinating uh, because it's important to point out that... um, that this this involved a lot of people. Um, they had two people specifically um, set up to go ahead and launder the money, and uh, those were uh, who who were those guys? Uh, their names were Gao Shuwa and Ding Zhe. Sorry if my Chinese is mangled, um, but I'm trying my best. All right, so these these guys they had experience in running illegal casinos all over Asia, uh, mostly in Macau uh, in the Philippines. And fun fact, I have a bit of experience myself running an illegal casino, Slippery Pete's, Kandahar, Afghanistan's hottest casino for about a month and a half in 2008. <laughs> wow. Yeah, no, I got shut down real fast. But that really did happen. <laughs> Uh, so, so these guys, they started, um, basically what happened was the $81 million uh, was deposited into several bank accounts in the Philippines. And once that money was deposited, these guys took the money out and then immediately went over to the casino to start getting it cleaned. Now, when you're, when you're doing money laundering, you're going you're gonna to lose quite a bit of money. Uh, so when you're when you're laundering the the object is never if you start with a million dollars you're never going to get a million dollars back clean like it's just not going to happen so if you want to go to a place that's going to deal with high volumes of cash where there's an acceptable risk of loss you're going to want to go to a casino and these guys these guys did it pretty well uh, they started out actually in the VIP suite in the high roller room. And they were uh, they're playing arguably my least favorite uh, gambling game of all time. They were playing Baccarat, and I absolutely hate Baccarat. Why? It's the dumbest. It's it's flip a coin for rich people, basically. Like the point of Baccarat is like, like I get it. If you're gonna play like roulette or like craps or whatever, like you could have like some idea of what you're doing or like poke. I'm a poker and blackjack guy. And like, there's like, yeah, you're probably going to lose. Like you're almost definitely going to lose, but you have like a sense of control and you could be like, you can be good at blackjack or you can be good at poker. But like, 
the point of Baccarat is basically like you and the dealer both get two cards. And then you basically have to guess who has the higher total. So if you have if you have two cards, like a seven and an eight, they add up to fifteen. That means that like the last number of that is five. So you have a point value of five. And if the dealer has like a king and a nine, that's nineteen. Uh, the the only the last digit counts, and so it's nine. And so it's not even like that's not even like war though, because um, that that at least you're like playing against the dealer. All you're doing in baccarat is you're betting on who you think is going to have the higher hand. So like you don't even have to like beat the dealer to win or lose. It's just the dumbest, like absolutely the dumbest game. And you can like you can bet on both, uh, which is what these guys are doing. They're betting for the dealer and they're betting for the. Uh, for the player, um, which means that they were able to, A, get twice as much money onto the table. Uh, they were playing with, like, we've seen, like, some cool poker chips and stuff like that. Like, you've got your your white ones are a dollar, five dollars are red. Uh, you got the black chips are a hundred. These guys were dealing with red plaques. Uh, red plaques, they're, uh, it varies the size from casino to casino, but usually they're $20,000 per plaque. Uh, so these guys were putting serious money onto these tables. Uh, and they were doing, you know, sometimes $100,000, $200,000 a hand. Probably way more than that, whatever the, the limit is. And typically when you're putting that kind of money on, the casino will let you throw as much money as you want because they know they're going to get most of it. And so they were able to, by betting on both, they were basically breaking even the whole time. And also... Uh, and also getting all of that money onto the table so it could be cleaned out uh, when they cashed out their chips. All right, so after a couple days of gambling, uh, Gao, Ding, and a couple other uh, heavy rollers uh, or whales uh, that they brought with them, because uh, when you're, especially when you're moving a lot of money, like in this case, eighty-one million dollars, uh, even even if you're gambling extreme extremely high amounts. You're going to want multiple people to to kind of break that money up with you. Because A, you don't want it all traced back to you. And B, it's just a matter of efficiency. Um, but after a couple days, they were able to, to get that all uh, run through the casinos, exchange fresh bills and things like that that hadn't been traced, uh, and be on their way. So Gao, Ding, and the money were gone. Uh, and most of that money ended up being traced to, of all places, North Korea. Yeah. Um so why so North Korea um they assume so one thing is the uh believed that um the a lot of people believe that North Korean were involved with this because um some of the programming that was used in the malware was very similar to the, some that was used in the Sony hack Sony hacks of 2014 uh like and connected to a group called Lazarus, which operates out of North Korea. And Lazarus is actually the same group uh, that earlier this year perpetrated the WannaCry uh, ransomware attacks. Uh, and that's this is a pretty, pretty alarming pattern of really sophisticated cybercrime, uh, especially cyber theft, coming out of North Korea. Um, because... I mean, there's a lot of a lot of ways to do that, but the the WannaCry ended up 
That one caused billions of dollars. It shut down national health services in uh, European countries. It shut down Merck Pharmaceuticals, uh, cost them billions of dollars, and their stock still hasn't recovered. Uh, and it's just, it's a very dangerous, it was very dangerous uh, and highly sophisticated uh, attack. Even if it was shut down simply, it was, it was pretty pretty amazing to have been pulled off. And so between that and this this attack on Swift, it's it's definitely causing an alarming pattern. Right. And um, because of so the North Koreans were involved uh, were involved um, in this, uh, we've managed to so far um, after arresting you know da- uh, Garen Ding. Um, in total, we've only recovered you know only like fifteen million dollars ha- of the eighty one has been recovered. Still, there's the rest of it has been gone to North Korea for terror, uh, gone to, uh, gone to North Korea. And that's kind of where the tale and uh, like, that's the last we hear of this money. And just as a side note too, like, uh, Gao and Ding both got arrested and they're sitting in Chinese prisons and it sounds like an awful place. Like nobody wants to go to a prison in general, but the Chinese ones sound especially awful. Uh, actually, when uh, when Ding got uh, or when Gao got arrested, uh, he ba- basically the police came uh, to a compound and took Gao away. Uh, and Gao's wife ended up asking like what she could do to try to get him to get him out. And one of the cops basically just said, "Don't bother calling a lawyer." And that's that's the last that's been heard of uh, of Gao. Like I think he's still in jail. He's he could be dead. I don't, I don't know. Uh, but it sounds awful. So please do not go to Chinese prisons. <laughs> uh, and speaking of, uh, yeah. So that's that's basically my life lesson here in this one. Like I don't care if you commit cybercrime, but don't do it in a way that will get you sent to Chinese prison. Uh, absolutely. And um, there has been so. Uh, also, there has been some investigations within this, and they have found uh, the Bangladeshi Bank has found um, has uh, publicly admitted that uh, some mid-level employees who had security access were a, um, who had access to the Swift uh, security keys were the ones to um, initiate these transactions, uh, but. Not much information has been released by the bank, so there's still more we don't know, and will we ever know? Who knows? And uh, kind of bringing this back to the to the subject of North Korea, because this is uh, the more you hear about this, and the more that you find out about inside workers for the banks, and just the sophist- the levels of sophistication uh, that had to happen. Uh, technologically as well as uh, as well as just in terms of human resources because a lot of I mean believe it or not a lot of criminal organizations have you know they, they deal with human resources it, there's a lot of people like there might not be like you know Sandy at the HR office that's you know gonna like help you if you're being sexually harassed or you know wondering what dental benefits you might have but 
they deal with people a lot. And so uh, I think what's what's interesting about all of this is the fact that these are being nation-state uh, nation attacks. And I think that it's very telling that North Korea seems to be kind of pivoting from their traditional... Because North Korea's got like a lot of... They, they have to do a lot of song and dance to, to kind of stay where they are in the world. Um, a lot of this, like, we're still seeing traditionally as far as, uh, you know, them launching missiles and then, you know, testing nukes and saying, you know, we're going to go ahead and destroy the United States or Japan or South Korea or whoever the hot target is that particular day. They'll kind of rattle their sabers a little bit, and then everybody will be like, "Oh, you're a you're a big tough boy," and then it's like, "You're right, I'm a big tough boy. Give me some money," and then we go ahead and ease sanctions up, and give them food or whatever, and then they kind of, you know, go back and you know, we pet them on the head, and it's like a it's like a kid at Halloween, and you're like, "Oh, you're a big scary vampire, aren't you?" And then you give them a piece of candy, and they go away, and then they just come back the next year, and they you know this time they're a big scary Martian, and you just tell them how scared you are and you give them sanctions or ease their sanctions or do whatever. And it's pretty much that same song and dance, but the, the rise in these different sophisticated cyber crimes uh, kind of indicates to me that they're, that they're pivoting and that they're looking towards other resources to, uh, to really go ahead and finance themselves and that they might be trying to make moves to bring themselves somehow and weirdly into the 21st century um, because North Korea is also not a very conventional target for cyber warfare um, because they don't really have an advanced infrastructure like the United States or uh, you know even Russia or European countries like any of these countries that have advanced infrastructures are really target rich environments for for cyber warfare uh, but North Korea, like if you fly out overnight or you see satellite photos, like they're they're still in the dark. Like they don't have all of these you know targets that you could can really go ahead and and attack. Like they're they're pretty isolated, and so it's kind of unique that they can go ahead and pull these attacks off. But they don't really have anything to defend, so it, it makes it very hard to uh, to kind of treat them like you would in conventional cyber warfare, even though that's changing quite a bit still. Um, and another thing that I, I found interesting reading some of these sources was um, kind of uh, one person who warned about these, these, the vulnerabilities of our system is a woman named uh, Rachel Ehrenfeld, um, who is an expert in terrorism funding. Uh, she not she wrote the book. Literally, she wrote a book about uh, about terrorism funding called "Funding Evil: How Terrorism Is Financed and How to Stop It." Um, and it's pretty ambiguous. Yeah, absolutely. No one knows what it's about. <laughs> um, and years ago, she had warned Congress um, before that the. Uh, Swift was absolutely vulnerable to to hacking, and also the Federal Reserve could be extremely vulnerable, and that the next um, targets for terrorism financing would be 
um, large banks like the Federal Reserve, like the Bangladeshi Bank, something like that, um, rather than someone uh, siphoning off money uh, in, into helping uh, terrorist organizations. That's, I mean, that's definitely, definitely true. Because there have been other, um, there have been other like large scale bank thefts. Uh, we're gonna do a mini episode really soon on the central, ba- uh, central Iraqi bank uh, heist, um, because that was another one where right before the, uh, right before the invasion, uh, billions of dollars were stolen from the central Iraqi bank. Uh, but that's a different. That's a different kind of animal. And like I said, we will get into that in a mini episode soon. Um, but yeah, this is, this is really changing the face of a lot of things because Swift as a, like Swift as a, as a system right now doesn't have to be compromised. It's, uh, we mentioned before that it's really just membership there allows you to do whatever, basically do whatever you want. Um, and there's not there's not really any repudiation. There's no way of really tracking things down. Um, and so I'm curious to see if maybe the Swift uh, trans or if the Swift system and like the the way that these banks communicate and make these transactions uh, might be shifting in the future towards like a blockchain or some sort of you know encrypted and permanently you know changing uh, ledger where. Every transaction affects every other transaction, so that there is, you know, a total a total resoluteness and um, and confirmation from everybody involved. Um, I think that that might be where the future is going on that, um, because right now it's it's vulnerable. If you can get in to the if you can get into the club, you can make transactions. Right, and again, um, in this event. Swift wasn't necessarily compromised. It was the bank, the Bangladesh Bank, was compromised. Uh, the Swift security system was operating as it normally is, as it normally should. Yeah, and I just I think that that's that's definitely a problem that needs to be fixed sooner rather than later. Because um, it's also just like I don't know, like. When you hear about the the way the Federal Reserve, uh, the bank or the vault at the Federal Reserve works and things like that, like it's just huge piles of of gold, like gold bricks and things like that, and it makes you realize like kind of how dumb money is as a as a like principle, um, because like from from everything that I've uh, seen and heard, like there's just you know a gold room, kind of like the the vault at Fort Knox and things like that, but you know you'll have like this big pile and it says China on it. And then you've got another pile that says like, you know, Indonesia or Germany or whatever. And all these different companies will have, or all these different countries will have, you know, piles of money uh, just like sitting there in gold brick form. And then when Germany has to go ahead and pay Canada $5 billion or something, just some guy in a forklift, like going over and like loading up like, you know, 20 bricks or whatever the, whatever 5 billion comes to and like backing up and moving it over 15 feet and $5 billion has changed hands. So it just like really makes me like money is dumb is, is where I've gone with that. It's just, just a little pretend thing that we do. Another thing, uh, on our, uh, to mention is on our side, the U like 
our federal, like, the federal government is now also building a case against North Korea, a like an actual legal case against North Korea because of this uh, these transaction, this uh, heist and this transaction. That's also still in development. Still, we don't know what's going to be happening with that yet, but try to uh, keep in tune to the news. I'm sure something will come up. Absolutely. All right, that wraps up this episode of I Can Steal That. I want to say thanks again to my buddy Sam for coming by. Uh, I also want to say thank you to listening. I hope, really hope you found it interesting. Uh, cybersecurity is a huge passion of mine. Uh, it's what I do for a living. And so I know that sometimes I can go ahead and either assume that people know things or try to break things down too much. So I hope I did a good job of explaining things uh, without giving away too much because I definitely don't want to enable um, enable you to commit your own cyber heists. Um, but with that said, I just want to go ahead again and say thank you for listening. Thank you for leaving iTunes reviews. We're really, really close to 20 reviews. Once we get to 20, I'm going to do a mini episode. So be sure to go ahead uh, leave a review, send me a picture of it. I will send you some, I can steal that stickers and be, feel free to reach out to me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or, uh, via Gmail. All of them are, I can steal that. And I can steal that at gmail.com. So get in touch. Uh, we're going to have a new episode coming really soon for you and it's going to be great. So thank you again and have a great day.